You're listening to The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, where over the next hour or so, we'll be discussing the biggest stories from the Thames Valley and beyond. I'm Will Taylor and joining me tonight are, of course, Ben Green and Ed Talton. So stay tuned for Extra Time. This week we talk some poor results for both Reading's men and women's side, while also delving into Wickham's return to winning ways last night. We'll also be discussing Marcelo Bielsa's exit from Leeds and, of course, our offside opinion. All that and much more to come on this week's Extra Time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, the resident football show here on River Radio, of course, with myself, Ed, Ed Tolton and Ben Green. Contrary to perhaps popular belief, this show is not all about us and we'd love to hear from you this evening. You can get in touch via Twitter at River Radio Live or drop us an email at studio.river. Sorry, studio at river.radio. Got there eventually. Uh, I would like to start tonight's show on a uh, slightly different note, though. I'm sure many are, of course, aware of the horrific scenes unfolding across the continent in Ukraine at the moment. And here at Extra Time, we'd like to extend our thoughts and prayers with all all those in Ukraine and to all of those affected by it. That is from all of us, Extra Time and River Radio. As always, plenty to get stuck into this week and a very busy week for our constituent clubs, as well as the world of football in the last hour or so, actually, as Roman Abramovich has announced his intention to sell Chelsea. Ed, first and foremost, can I just get some reactions? That's huge, isn't it? I mean, it's when he came in to uh, Chelsea almost 20 years ago now, it was a seismic story and it it marked a watershed, uh, not just in the Premier League, not just in English football, but in, you know, the UK as a whole and and beyond for, for football it was massive it changed the state of ownership in terms of you know foreign parties coming over and, and buying clubs from from uh, other nations and yeah I imagine that the uh, the sale of Chelsea will cause similar ripples and it and it throws more uncertainty um, into the the Chelsea story for the time being and we'll have to sit back and, and wait to see what happens there he said he will write off the 1.5 billion pound loan that he has given to try and make the sale more attractive to prospective buyers um, but yeah it's a massive massive story as you say broken in the last sort of 45 minutes and uh, Chelsea are due to be playing Luton Town tonight in the FA Cup so it'll be interesting to see whether or not there is any kind of effect in terms of the way they perform or whether they can just uh, stick to business Frustrating for yourself as well because it takes massive shine off Palace going through to the next round of the FA Cup doesn't it? Yeah uh, of course <laughs> of course it's obviously that would have been the headline Naturally, story That's what we were leading with Tonight yeah. I would have thought you know a, a nice gritty you know can they do it during midweek against Stoke Yes we yes, can, you can. Um, yeah. but uh, in all honesty you look at the clubs that are still left in that competition and, and I would fancy us to be out next round but you never know no. It is the FA Cup, anything can happen. That's what the famous saying goes, isn't it? Uh, ben, obviously, we're going to get into Wickham later. A good win for you last night. Fireworks on the pitch, but before the game. 
this time. Well, I know you sent me a lovely video. Oh, <laughs> God. Well, first evening, gents. Um, but yeah, no, I've never been a fan of the fireworks before or after the game. Um, especially, you know, they're pre-planned. You know, what, what if we went and lost the game 4-0? Yeah. Or it's worse when you have it after the game. You know, can you imagine losing 2-1 to the bottom of the league and, oh, I'll get the fireworks going. So no, uh, not a fan. Not a fan of those ones. Well, we'll get we'll get into that, that good result for Wickham last night. But uh, we will kick off tonight's show with the latest from Championship side, Reading. It's, of course, been a busy few weeks for the club as Paul has taken over from Velko Paunovic and the club find themselves with a slight buffer above the relegation zone. They are by no means safe though and that wasn't helped this weekend when they fell to a 4-1 loss away at Blackpool. Having led first through Lucas Shaw and been drawing at half-time, three second half goals from the Seasiders was more than enough for all three points. At the game was the Reading Chronicles' Benji Nurek and I caught him caught up with him earlier this week and I started out by asking him if the scoreline perhaps flattered Blackpool ever so slightly. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was a pretty dramatic scoreline, 4-1. It sounds like a big defeat when you say it, but the reality of the game is that, as Poland said, for large parts it wasn't really a 4-1 game. You know, Reading were certainly in it for the first half. It was 1-1 at halftime, so of course they were in it at that point. They were, of course, in it until they conceded the second goal after 61 minutes to make it 2-1. But even then, for the next 20, 25 minutes until Blackpool got their third, Reading were well in the game. They didn't create any sort of huge chances that you think, oh, we had to have scored there. But they were certainly in it and pressing and looking for the goal. The problem is that Reading are just way too easy to beat at the moment. And it's been the problem the whole season is that Teams aren't having to really work for their goals. They're kind of just being handed goals. So Blackpool's first two both came from set pieces, which has been a problem the whole season. Reading lead the league in goals conceded from set pieces. They're six ahead of the next team. So that really tells you the problem right there. And they didn't really even get close to Blackpool on either of those two set piece goals. The first corner came in and they lost four consecutive headers before the ball eventually ended up in the back of the net, which is pretty impressive to lose four headers in the span of about three seconds. And then for the second set-piece goal, Michael Morrison was just horribly beaten to the ball by Gary Medine. Maybe Luke Southwood should have come out to get it. Whatever it may be, the fact is they're time and time again conceding these incredibly easy fundamentally sloppy goals, and it was the same thing for the counterattacks for Blackpool's third and fourth. And the reality is you're just not going to win many games when you're conceding the type of goals that Reading are conceding. That certainly certainly seems the case. I mean, it's a tough one, isn't it? Looking at the running and everything as well. 36 points left to play for. Obviously, there's a bit of a gap between, between the team. Peterborough in a, in a dire, dire run of form and, and Derby not doing too brilliantly either. How many points do you sort of think or how many... Wins do you think Reading will need to stay up? And how many do you sort of think they'll pick up? It's it's a tough question because obviously it depends on the teams below them. I mean, we're seeing Barnsley get into a bit of form over the last three weeks or so. Derby were in great form. Now they've fallen off a little bit. Peterborough just got a new manager, so who knows what will happen with them. The key, I think, is that you just have to really, and it's very cliche in football, but you have to just focus on the next game and making sure you're picking up a consistent level of points because ultimately Reading are in a good enough position that they don't need to win nearly every game. If they can just considerably tick over and pick up a point here, three points there, another point here, it'll be enough. They probably only need four, five wins maximum to stay up, probably even less. I think it's going to take less points this season than it has in in past seasons because of the points deduction to Derby and then the points deduction to Reading. I think the total you're going to need is going to be less. So 
Honestly, it sounds on paper like not that difficult of a job. They probably only need to win between three and five more games. But of course, a team who's only won twice since November, that obviously sounds a lot more difficult. Um, but I think the key is going to be conceding goals. You know, they've conceded 67 goals this season in the championship. It's the most of any team. And it's really very frustrating because going forward, Reading actually have a good attack. They've got players who can score goals. Lucas Zhao and John Swift. That's a duo that pretty much any team in the championship would love to have, let alone a team battling relegation. But when you have to score two, three, four goals every single game just to be in it with a chance, you're not going to win that many games. But still, on paper, it's not that difficult of a job. They should stay up. Obviously easier on paper than in real life. Definitely. I mean, you've stolen my next stat. It was written down for me that they conceded the most goals um, in the championship. Well, what does Paul Ince have to do then to, to sort of fix that leaky defence, do you think? It's, it's a really tough question, actually, because when, when Velko Paunovic was in charge, I asked him a number of different times what he had to change, essentially, to make the team better defensively, if they had to play maybe an uglier style, if they had to just, you know, pack the box with defenders and bodies and just try to hold on. And essentially what he said is that his squad... The, the current Reading squad is full of players who want to be on the ball, want to pass it around, want to play nice attacking football, create chances and score goals, which isn't the most conducive always to a relegation battle where you need to be hanging on. You really need to do the gritty hard yards. You need to throw your body in front of the ball. You need to be able to defend. So essentially Paul Lintz, I think in some ways, has to change the identity of the team in a very short amount of time. And that isn't an easy job at all, but Reading have to become a team that defends first and attacks second. And currently, all they want to do is get forward and attack, which when it's in full flow, fantastic. That's a lot of fun. But it also means that when you have seven bodies in front of the ball, it's a lot easier for the other team to counter on you and score because you're thin at the back. And Reading lack physical ball winners. I mean, we saw on, on Saturday when Andy Rinomoda, who's probably been their best midfielder all season, he had to play at right back, and suddenly they had no one who could win the ball in midfield. Defensively, they struggle against aerial and physical threats. I think Tom Holmes was a big miss on Saturday for that reason. Michael Morrison is not the best in the air, so ultimately... I think they have to somehow, and it's something that Paul Lins knows. He's spoken about it in pretty much every single press conference he's given so far. He has to make this team believe that they can defend and that they have to defend. And that probably comes from team shape. It probably comes from getting bodies behind the ball. And it also probably comes from just a mental focus on first above everything, making yourself hard to beat, making yourself good at defending. And then you can worry about the attacking after that. Definitely right. I mean, two games in for Paul Ince now. I know we, we spoke last week about the first one maybe being slightly false, um, but he's already admitted he's got a huge task on his hands. How important is that game against Millwall in on, in Saturday then, in terms of his reign? I, th I think it is important. And, you know, we get into a dangerous trap at this time of the season where we think of each game as a must win or each game as the most critical one. And the truth is that, that it isn't because this game isn't more critical than, say, the next one against Nottingham Forest or the one after that against Blackburn. But they are all extremely important at this stage. What I think is very important about the Millwall game is that a, the next two games after that are incredibly difficult. Forrest and Blackburn are going to be 
really big challenges that Reading will do well to get anything from those games. And B, it's a chance to build or at least push momentum in the right direction. And if Reading start to get on a run of defeats again, if they say lose this one and then lose the next two, suddenly you have all the momentum going in the wrong direction. And as we saw under Velko Panovic, that can be a tough thing to turn around. So I think there's a huge game in sort of pushing the momentum in the right direction ahead of some very difficult games. I don't think it'll be an easy game for Reading at all. I think in a lot of ways, Millwall match up terribly for what Reading are good at because Reading want the ball on the ground. They want to pass. They want to get forward. They want to have fun. Millwall want none of that. Millwall want to smash the ball long, put an elbow in your face and make life incredibly difficult for you. And to an extent, that's what Blackpool did. And I think it's the type of play that Reading will really struggle against. Hopefully they'll have Scott Dan, um, Tom Holmes, Josh Laurent, a collection of those players back, which should make them more of a physical battle for, for Millwall. But I think it's the type of game that, that Reading are going to struggle in. Millwall may be slightly synonymous with their fans there in that sort of respect. Um, but no, Benji, thank you so much for joining me. We certainly do wish Reading the best of luck and I'm, I'm sure we'll catch up in the near future. My pleasure. There we go, Benji Nurek there from the Reading Chronicle giving us his thoughts at the result of the weekend and looking ahead to Millwall. Gents, starting with that Blackpool game at the weekend, I mean, looking looking at the time the goals were scored and all that sort of thing, it, it did certainly flatter them a bit, didn't it? I think yeah, you've only got to um, you've only got to look at as you say the timing. The goals were scored. Shane Lavery got a, the third goal in the 86th minute. Josh Bowler then the fourth in the 90th. To me, that's immensely indicative of a team who are being more expansive to try and get an equaliser. And, and obviously they've been caught perhaps on the counter. And, and ultimately, I think the result flattered Blackpool a little bit. And, and Neil Critchley, their manager, has, has said as much as well, Paul Lindsay, agreeing with him. But yeah, a disappointing defeat. And it's been indicative of, of Reading's season, isn't it? You know, you could lose 2-1. You don't want to lose a game. But it's better to lose a game 2-1 away from home than 4-1. Another minus three into the goal difference. And, and that's been the problem and the one that Paul Lintz knows he has to address, which is just how many goals they have conceded over the course of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly it's, it's, it's a massive issue, isn't it? The goals they conceded is just absolutely ridiculous. But um, I, I mean, Brent, what you, it's, it's something they need to shore up at the back, isn't it, going forward? I mean, it's, it's, I know obviously we don't know a lot about a Paul Lintz team because it's been a while, but at the same time, it's not something that you'd necessarily expect from a team of a player like Paul Lintz, like he was as a player, as a manager. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I guess the problem is a manager is very different to the player reputation, isn't it? We always think about John Terry at Aston Villa and mm. oh, surely Aston Villa's defence is going to be good because John Terry's there, he was a yeah, great defender, yeah. but ultimately they've, they've actually struggled defensively. Um, obviously, he's not there anymore. Um, but yeah, it's been so long since Paul Lynn's been in management, I think about eight years now. Blackpool was his last appointment. Um, and, you know, looking at the league table, they, they've conceded a lot of goals, you know, 67 goals. Now, obviously, Derby's a bit bit of a false position. They've only conceded 39. But even the teams around, even Peterborough, who are a really poor championship side, I have to say, <laughs> they've only conceded 66. So No, no bias then. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't just lay into Peterborough every week for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but look, we talk about goal difference in, in a league like, like a this. It's like a point though, isn't exactly, it? Exactly. Yeah. You know, it could come down to it. You could be on the same level as level of points as, as maybe Barnsley now who are looking like the team that's going to be challenging them a couple of weeks ago I don't know ago, what's happened there that's <laughs> well a couple of weeks ago I said Barnsley were dead and buried and now they, they, they've shut up the table so yeah those, <laughs> they, were, those, they were listening do they, they, yeah, they yeah, Green 100%, curse, 100%, yeah 100% um, <laughs> but yeah that, that, that goal difference is a concern and you know 
if you stop conceding goals, it's very obvious to say, but if you stop conceding goals, you, you could win more football matches. So. Yeah, yeah. Defence is the best. It's the, the foundations, isn't it, a lot of the time. I mean, it's a tough game against Millwall this weekend, a team that seems to be picking up some really good results this season. But it's, re- it's a really hard run after that game, isn't it? As they, They've got Forest, Bournemouth and then Blackburn, three teams all right up there in terms of the promotion mix. How important is it to, to at least try and get a point out of that Millwall game? Because, I mean, the, the, the three after that don't look particularly winnable. I mean, I think the thing about relegation battles is often it is the team that manages to pick up points in areas or, or away or or at signs they're not expected to that often are the ones that ultimately stay up because you can't just write games off before they've even been played. However, getting points at Millwall, who are the lowest team they're going to play over the next four games, is is going to be crucial. It's always going to be crucial to pick up points. They do have that six point buffer as you just said there to Barnsley but Barnsley have a game in hand so I mean for me if you look at Derby County and the extent to which it would have been demoralising when Reading picked up those couple of wins suddenly having been closing that gap I mean Reading were nearly in the relegation zone themselves had they lost at Peterborough that's what would have happened but Derby now you just sense with the difficult news that's come out recently about whether or not they've even got a a prospective buyer they've only got finance for a couple of weeks throwing the results on the pitch and, and I certainly felt you know looking at Wayne Rooney the other night I think it's I think it's getting to Wayne Rooney now because obviously you know that gap has opened up and, and the possibility doesn't seem quite as possible mm. as it as it once did so another three points for Reading particularly if they could get them at Millwall to be totally honest with you would would certainly put a dent in Barnsley's hopes of survival no doubt about that I think you're right well the Royals certainly be hoping for a hugely important win this weekend when they do face Millwall as I mentioned on the women's side of Reading they were unfortunately knocked out of the FA Cup this weekend against fellow WSL side West Ham United after extra time they lost the game 1-0 making it two losses on the spin for Kelly Chambers side they do have a chance to put that right this evening though as they face WSL leaders Arsenal away from home at Meadow Park that one's just literally kicked off in the last couple of minutes as well and we'll keep you across that for as long as we do remain on air sticking with Berkshire as well, very much the mixed bag of results for Badenhead United over the last week or so. They cruised past Tink, uh, Kingsland Town on Saturday, away from home with a 4-1 victory, courtesy of goals from Josh Kelly, a brace from him, Ryan Upward and Dan Sparks after going 1-0 down as well. Uh, but they visited D- Dagenham's Victoria Road last night where they didn't have quite as much success. Three goals in the first half was enough for the Daggers to take all three points off Maidenhead and those two results, but however, those two results have lifted the Pines to 15th in the National League. 12 points of the drop with 15 games left for them this season so mixed results for Maidenhead there gents I mean that's sort of been the problem all season hasn't it yeah yeah and that's why they find themselves sort of in mid-table and not maybe challenging Torquay United for that 11th spot let's not get into that Ben shall we <laughs> let's not get into that uh, more pressing issues tonight mate uh, Roman Bramwich is selling well, Chelsea alright let's uh... <laughs> yeah I mean at the same time you know if we if we offered Maidenhead fifteenth at the start of the season, I'm sure they would have taken it. Mm. You know, we can we can certainly after that start as well. Exactly when just, it yeah. looked like they they could be in a relegation fight. But you know, I said a couple of weeks ago that if we're, if Maidenhead could end up in that maybe thirteenth to sixteenth spot, that's a really good season for them. And that's you know the key would be obviously keeping the players. Um, you know, that's always a problem at that level. But fifteenth to sixteenth, I think that's something really good to build upon. I think it's it's one of those ones, isn't it, where, to be honest with you, sometimes you have to take the season as a whole. And as you say, if you'd looked at Maidenhead's start to the season, which was so difficult after the losses of key players, and, and obviously we've talked about the recruitment process that as a, as a non-professional club in that division that they have to go to, 
it's not an exact science. You never really know whether or not someone is going to necessarily adapt because whilst you've got the budget to bring in some players who perhaps played that level before or maybe even higher, it's going to be a mixture of bringing people up, bringing people in. And ultimately, they had to, you know, I mean, I said I went to a friendly at the start of the season just before the season kicked off against Lake Norian and there were seven trialists in a squad of 18 um, to the point where they hadn't even bothered naming the trialists. There were so many. So, um, you know, when you're in that sort of situation, you're effectively having to rebuild the squad you're dealing with the fact you've lost your, your highest scoring striker as well. It's always going to be difficult. I think really what we should be doing is giving Maidenhead a lot of credit for the result and the run of results they, they put together a little while ago. A bit more mixed recently, but to be perfectly honest with you, the nature of the National League and indeed Leagues 1 and 2 is that anyone can beat anyone on any given day, which is why it's so difficult to get out of. But I think that run looks like you would hope it's probably secured safety for mm. them. They're 12 points above the relegation zone. I mean, let's be totally honest, Maidenhead, not that long ago, were, were right in the midst of that. They were just above the drop zone, but a couple of good results for Weymouth, for example, could potentially have seen them drop in. So full credit to them for crowbarring themselves out of the immediate picture there but still work to be done this season definitely I think another thing to remember as well is if you look at the three out of the four teams directly above them okay Yeovil Town mm. Southend United and Torquay United three. you know the size of those clubs and where those teams have been in recent years you know Maidenhead are now punching with them so 100%, you know yeah. like you said okay they, yeah, it could have been a better season it could have been a worse season but to, to end in and around those teams I think that's something to I, be I, really I, cool. I think specifically if you'd said they'd finish below just below those three <laughs> teams they'd have taken that all day wouldn't exactly. they I mean especially with the South End being new to the division as well I mean that's yeah. it's certainly something they'll take it's, it's, it's been a great little run for them and uh, you know they'll certainly look to return to winning ways this weekend when they face Altrincham at York Road welcoming Wildstone the following Tuesday for what feels like the, the millionth time they've tried to rear that fixture. Up next though we're going to be swapping Berkshire for Bucks and turning our attention to Wickham Wanderers. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This this is River Radio. Well now for some pop music try this. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. You're listening to Extra Time on River Radio, our resident football show, bringing you stories from across the Thames Valley. Next up is Wickham Wanderers. Another mixed week for one of our constituent clubs as a visit to Accrington Stanley on Saturday saw them fall to a 3-2 defeat despite leading the game twice. That changed last night though when the chairboys welcomed Cambridge United to Adams Park and after, after a brace from Anis Mahetmi, either side of Gareth, Gareth McCleary's goal, Wickham ran out 3-0 winners. Ben, you're obviously our go-to guy on this one. Inconsistency seems to be a bit of a running theme through tonight's show is that how it feels for Wickham at the moment and is, is that why it's sort of so frustrating oh yeah incredibly frustrating you know I know we're going to touch on the game that happened last night but it's, it's just an example of where Wickham could be you know we beat Cambridge so easily last night so comfortably and everything right that we did in that game last night we haven't been doing and I know we've we've talked about you know not having enough possession going too direct and I think that's also probably resulted in why we've you know been conceding so many goals Wickham have always had that fine balance of going long ball, but also playing football when they need to be. And recently, it's got to the point where it's been so direct. We've had so little of the percentage of possession that ultimately you're going to concede a lot of chances, aren't you? Uh, and I think again on Saturday, it got to the point where I think Wickham in the 90 minutes accumulated something like 120 completed passes, which is incredibly low. It's incredibly low. 
seriously, seriously yeah. low, isn't it? I mean, it's it's obviously talking about a Saturday then. You led twice. That seems to be a bit of a theme in itself, doesn't it? Leading and then being pegged back. Why do you think you're struggling to hold on to these? What is it? Because it's not synonymous of a Gareth Ainsworth side. It's normally, from what I remember of Wickham, certainly years ago, it was always a case of go one nil up and you very much hold on to that. But that, that doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to pinpoint down. I think, like I said just then, maybe the lack of possession, um, going too direct, conceding too many chances. Maybe, in my opinion, playing the wrong team. You had inexperienced players playing out of position, players coming back from injury, playing a full 90 minutes. Uh, we were going direct against the tallest team in the league. You know, you know that, that sort of thing like is that, the problem. Yeah. I think, ultimately... Players also do go through dips in form. And when you don't have the recruitment that you bring in players in January, mm. you can find that you know, we've got no one to replace them. So when players are struggling, unfortunately, you just have to take a couple of defeats. And, and that, that's what happened. Looking at that Ultracon team, or, or rather the team that, that we can put out to, to face Ultracon, what you tend to find is that when managers are struggling to get a result, they start to tweak and change a, a lot of things, which initially don't amount to too much but progressively and cumulatively if you were to look at the team he'd put out maybe seven eight games before they got a win and the team he would put out now in the hope of getting a win how much difference has there been how much tinkering has he had to do to to try and elicit that uh, that upturn in form because obviously it was no win in seven games before that all clubs can go through a bit of a blip but by Wickham standards chasing promotion that was going to be difficult to overcome yeah, there was a lot of changes. Uh, you saw a lot of the back. Anthony Stewart, Ryan Tafazzoli were, were absent for maybe five of those games. Mm. And it's no surprise that they came back in last night and we kept a clean sheet. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there's been a lot of tinkering. I think too much tinkering. And look, that can happen. You know, when you're, when you're going through a run of form like that, sometimes managers may feel like, I've just got to keep changing the team until I find the right formula. Now, last night, I know we're going to talk about it, but last night he, he brought back in a couple of more experienced players players that haven't been playing that in my opinion maybe should have had more minutes uh, and it resulted in a much more fluent performance a much more structured defensive display um, and and yeah I think I'd probably put it down to really I think it's the two centre-halves the fact that they weren't playing I think was the key issue you know Anthony Stewart and Ryan Tafazzoli in my opinion uh, I know you've seen a lot of Wickham Ed as well they're, they're two of the best defenders in the league um, and, and they weren't playing so I mean Anthony Stewart for me I can't I still can't get over his performance in the playoff final oh. that took Wickham into the yeah. championship I thought he was excellent Incredible. if anything I thought they were going to do well to hang on to him irrespective yeah. of going into the league because if I was a championship club I'd have been looking at that performance and thinking I wouldn't mind having him in my back line I agree um, <laughs> you know and I think you're, you're probably right you know their reinstatement into the middle of the back mm. four I'm just looking at the formation as well because it looks like he sort of tinkered with that a little bit Wickham were playing a back three um, you know for a lot of the season which featured Joe Jacobson, yeah. obviously more traditionally, I think a, a left back, um, yeah. you know, playing uh, as as a central defender, as it were. Um, looking at this one here, it, it is from what I can deduce, Terry Venable's Christmas tree, isn't it? It is a four three two one, and Daryl Horgan, who's sort of more more of a winger, playing through the middle, according to this. Now, is that how it actually played out on the grass? Yeah, essentially it was, uh, and actually Daryl Horgan also played in the middle uh, against. Cheltenham where we drew 5-5 and you also had Silly Kai Kai playing in the middle so that was actually why I thought we, we were so poor defensively now I think last night the reason why it maybe worked is because you actually had Anis Mometi in there who is a more natural centre mid you had Gareth McCleary who offered the width I think the problem was when you play two wingers and you've got no width aside of them they naturally drift that wide don't they yeah, and so you know they're not used to that defensive work the positioning of a Josh Gowan uh, who came in and was, and was solid as ever so yeah probably that and Mimetti's a bit of a curious one, isn't he? Because I think the 
biggest complaint Wickham fans seem to have about him is he's he's clearly incredibly talented, but also quite inconsistent. But two goals for him last night. How how good was he? I've always been a massive fan of Anis. You have to remember, you know, a couple of years. Is he ago, a fan of yours? Uh, oh yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Trust he's a listener. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, a couple of years ago he was in non-league, so we have to you know, remind ourselves where he's come from. He's only. 20 odd years old you know he's younger than me so you have to remember what he is and he's also been in and out of the team and it's very hard to get a run of games and, and get your form but I think last night he proved what he can do it, yeah he's got to release the ball quicker but at the same time he's the only player in our team that can beat three or four players at once mm. and you kind of have to let him learn and just do what he does I think in a way let him have free reigns and, and when he does that he scores goals he gets assists and he, and he stretches teams so yeah it's a double-edged sword of him I think Well Mometi's very young but obviously Gareth McCleary is perhaps you know closer to my age dare I say he's even older than me but he got a goal last night as well just how important has, has he been throughout the course of the season and how important do you think he could be going into this run now where Wickham find themselves just outside the playoffs but still with a, a fair few games to play. Yeah, I mean, at the start of the season, he was the player, player of the season for me for the first six months. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. He proved that he was a level above and that he's played championship football the, the most of his career. I think what happened was a player of that age, they can struggle, they can go through dips in form and that's when you need someone else to come in and, and offer them a bit of support. He didn't have that. Um, but look, he... Last night he got the goal, he played well, he got the goal and the assist actually for the third goal. So I think it'd be no surprise if, if Gareth McCleary's upturning form results and Wickham getting a few more wins in the coming weeks. So yeah, he's going to be pivotal, I think. He reminds me a bit of Joby McEnough. Do you remember when he went to Leighton Orient and still did really well Yeah, for, for like years and years at, at like a, a level, even despite the fact he played slightly higher? I mean, I, I'm just curious because obviously you've touched on the last few weeks about how, just how disappointing it's been. Was it a bit like watching the Wickham that you'd known and loved all season last night again? Well, actually, I'm going to throw a curve. I'm going to say no. Really? I'll tell you why. Because the actual style of football last night was so refreshing to see. Uh, We played the ball on the deck. Stockdale was passing out from the back. I mean, (laughs) Ed's face right now. Uh, Yeah, Stockdale was passing out from the back. The two centre-halves were splitting wide and they were playing it between each other. Lewis Lewis Wing in the middle was was getting the ball and not looking for Sam Vokes every time. He was looking for players. It was a really good performance. First half, it looked like a team that knew... Or it looked like a manager that knew that he'd got the star wrong in recent weeks and he knew he had to change something. Um, so defensively, yeah, it was the Wickham of old. But going forward, it, it was great to see. We had players, you know, OK, we were still going long at times. But at the same time, players were passing the ball around. I think all three goals came from passes. None of the goals last night were hitting hope into the box and a bundle and we get the goal. No, they were actually very well-made goals. So it was really refreshing performance. It certainly seemed like it. Just before, just before we wrap up, crew on Saturday should be fairly routine on paper, shouldn't it? But but football's not played on paper, as a, as a great manager once said. And it wasn't routine last time. No, exactly. exactly. No, exactly. It wasn't. It was a very hard game. That was a Ryan Tafazoli goal, wasn't it? Ninety-seventh minute. Yeah, exactly. And you know, with Wickham, you never make it easy. Uh, Cambridge was probably a one-off. <laughs> you know, a three-nil <laughs> win at home, um, and we've struggled actually. You know, Morecambe, we 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 struggled. I think you know, we we lost that game. Um, Cheltenham, we. Struggled there in the bottom half so no it's no guarantee uh, crew are going to be fighting for their lives they've still got an outside chance of staying up now they've won one in five uh, lost the other four so yeah Wickham should be going there but at the same time at this stage of the season there's no no easy game in League One 
Absolutely not. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get into uh, get into a little bit more about the the wider spectrum of football. That is it for our constituent clubs. So we're gonna be talking a little bit about Roman Abramovich's recent statement for uh, in his relation to his sale of Chelsea. Interestingly, it looks like that might have had an effect on the pitch as well as they're currently one nil down to Luton Town. No. We'll be back for that and a little bit more next. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This this is River Radio. Ooh. Well. Now for some pop music. Try this. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. You're listening to Extra Time here on River Radio, and that's why it's time for our Hot Topic section. Initially, initially, this was intended to have a little bit of a chat about Marcelo Bielsa's departure from Leeds. There's a slightly more controversial departure that's happened in the last hour or so, isn't there, Ed? I mean, we've seen the departure of Roman Abramovich and his intention to sell Chelsea. That's correct, yeah. He's released a statement, which I'll read now, and Chelsea have pushed this out onto Twitter. It says, I would like to address the speculation in media over the past few days in relation to my ownership of Chelsea FC. As I have stated before, I've always taken decisions with the club's best interest at heart. In the current situation, I have therefore taken the decision to sell the club, as I believe this is in the best interest of the club, the fans, the employees, as well as the club's sponsors and partners. The sale of the club will not be fast-tracked, but will follow due process. I will not be asking for any loans to be repaid. This has never been about business nor money for me, but about pure passion for the game and the club. Moreover, I have instructed my team to set up a charitable foundation where all net proceeds from the sale will be donated. The foundation will be for the benefit of all victims of the war in Ukraine. This includes providing critical funds towards the urgent and immediate needs of victims, as well as supporting the long-term work of recovery. Please know that this has been an incredibly difficult decision to make, and it pains me to part with the club in this manner. However, I do believe this is in the best interests of the club. I hope that I will be able to visit Stamford Bridge one last time to say goodbye to all of you in person. It has been a privilege of a lifetime to be part of Chelsea FC and I am proud of all our joint achievements. Chelsea Football Club and its supporters will always be in my heart and it is signed. Thank you, Roman. So a massive and a seismic piece of news for football, not just in the UK, but also abroad as well. And I think it's because of the, the way in which Roman Abramovich actually and his arrival changed football first and foremost in England, because prior to that, whilst there were obviously foreign players, the influx of foreign players since has escalated quite significantly. Most owners were British-based as well, and his ownership of Chelsea paved the way for things like the Glazers at Manchester United, and obviously the subsequent takeovers at places like Manchester City, mm-hmm. and most recently, of course, Newcastle as well. There's been an influx of, of foreign money. Um, I mean, I think first and foremost, a couple of the really interesting points when you pull that statement apart, that he's not going to be looking for his loans to be repaid his Huge. loans are thought to escalated to about one and a half billion pounds so it's, it's so such a ridiculous <laughs> amount of money isn't it effectively to, 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 yeah. you're writing off that which will make it a more attractive proposition mm. so while he's saying the the move won't be fast tracked i think what we can deduce from that is that he's looking for the sale to be as attractive as possible and he's looking to cut ties as quickly as he realistically can obviously the the uh, the situation with regards to net profits from the sale going towards Ukraine as well. And I think, you know, in a more political sense, perhaps... I was going to say, we're, really, not, we're not a political the show. The really interesting thing about that is that as an oligarch, he has actually called it a war. He stopped yeah. short of any mm. criticism of Vladimir Putin, but that is quite a statement it's, for him yeah. to make. It, it, 
it feels like it's as close to criticism of Putin as you, as you could particularly. And look, I'm not like I said, I'm not pretending we're a political show. We have a political show, and we're not pretending to be that. But in terms of the, it, 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 the, the statement to me generally comes across like he is actually doing it for Chelsea, and I, I think that that makes that must make it even harder for Chelsea fans knowing that there actually is someone there. Because don't, don't get me wrong, his morals over the years have been questioned in terms of his his commitment to Chelsea and exactly what he was doing. And, and like you said, foreign managers, especially he brought in. You know, you look at his, you know, there was the brought in Claudio Ranieri or Jose Mourinho all these all these incredible managers it's just it's just so huge but it generally does seem like Ben I don't know if you got that impression from that mm. statement that this actually is for Chelsea and not for himself oh yeah I did I, I felt like reading that you know, when Ed was reading that out that he actually meant that and that that wasn't you know someone else typing it up or a, you know, a generic statement I think it, it is an end of an era it really is. He's been there so long and you have to be objective about it. He's been a brilliant owner in a way for Chelsea, hasn't he? You know, the amount of success that has come that club's way since he joined, you know, almost like this revolving door of successful managers and players that come through. It's been non-stop and um, look, I'm... <laughs> someone's still got to buy the club there's still a lot of money I know he's he's going to waiver the, the debt that he's owed but you know, there's not a great pool of people out there that can actually afford that money and also there's a lot of money involved with the stadium and how the pitch isn't owned by the club it's owned by a trust and there's a lot of technical things there as well um, so yeah it's going to be very interesting in the next few weeks to see actually what happens and who actually can put forward a bid I'm just curious to see in terms of like, like you mentioned it's the end of an era and, and Abramovich was very much known for this cutthroat Manage, like you said, managerial merry-go-round of if, if you haven't have won anything for six months, right, you're gone. There was even talk of Tuchel when they went on a bit of a bad run being being sort of axed, which obviously didn't end up happening. It, it, do, you, do you think things are going to change dramatically at Chelsea now? Do you think that whole philosophy will change? And, and as a result, the club's sort of image image will change. Yeah, but it's, I know it's hard to speculate, but it's, it's so big that it's, it's mental. No, no, not really, because I think Chelsea have been instrumental in creating that landscape of of, redol- of a revolving door when it comes to when it comes to managers. To be totally honest with you, and I think that is the way the game has gone. And you know, I speak to ex professionals pretty regularly, and a lot of the time now, what I hear is, you know, managers budget for the idea they're going to be in a job for maybe eighteen months to to three, perhaps at a push four years. That's kind of it. Really, and you know the eras of of Sir Alex Ferguson and the eras of Arsene Wenger being at a club for twenty plus years that doesn't really happen anymore, and certainly not at the top level because the financial implications, which Roman Abramovich had a, a hand in, because obviously you know clubs started to see that if you wanted to make money, you had to spend money. If you wanted success, you had to spend money. I mean, I've got a list here of of some of the managers that have been in charge um, under him. Obviously, we've had Thomas Tuchel. There was Andre Villas-Boas. This in no particular order. Luis Felipe Scolari. Gus Hiddink, um, twice. Um, Claudio Ranieri was there when he first came in. Frank Lampard, obviously. Rafa Benitez, Avram Grant. Maurizio Sarri, Jose Mourinho, twice. Uh, And uh, Roberto Di Matteo as well. Antonio Conte. Um, You know, so... Carlo Ancelotti as as well. So, you know, and the amount of success that has happened as a result of those men being at the helm of Chelsea has been kind of unparalleled, really, in, uh, you know, really, we're talking about, you know, comparing it to Manchester United and Sir Alex Ferguson. It's that sort of success. And it's just a different way of getting it. So I don't anticipate it necessarily will be like that because ultimately um, success will always talk, particularly at a club like Chelsea, who have elevated themselves in, in his tenure to being absolutely one of the best in the world and 
categorically the best in Europe based on last season's Champions League final. I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And it's it's so hard to put into words what this will mean to Chelsea fans, isn't it? Because it's it's one of those where, like I said, he took he's taken a lot of flack from a lot of people for, for the way he's done things. But it's one of those things where... Ultimately, it's it's a it's a success based industry, isn't it? And and that's what he's bought for them. How do you think the fans will be feeling? It's worth mentioning as well that Reading women have just gone one 0 down to Arsenal as well. Just uh, just before before you answer that question, Vivian Medima, twenty two minutes. There you go. Absolutely clinical striker, by the way, Medima. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, Chelsea fans are going to be gutted. I've I've got a, a friend who's a very big Chelsea fan. He, he tweeted earlier saying, "Beyond gutted, the best owner in the game." Um, that's obviously slightly biased, but you know, yeah, they're going to be they're going to be gutted not only because of the success he's had, but the stability of, of the club in general. You know, he's been there so long now. It, it is going to be a bit nerve wracking for a while. Of who comes in, are they going to be reliable? They're going to stay with the club for as long as Roman has. Are they going to have the money that he has? You know, the issue of actually buying the club is, a, is in my head is actually a massive problem here because Chelsea aren't the team they were. 18 years ago however long it was they're a massive club and the amount of money it's going to require not only to buy the club but then also to continue funding the club not make a loss and be happy to make a loss by the way because it is a, a loss making industry at times it's going to be incredibly hard to find that person I know Conor McGregor has thrown his name out there I don't think that's very realistic <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's going to be interesting you wouldn't say that to his face no I wouldn't he's only about 5 foot 5 but uh, <laughs> Wow! Yeah. Wow! Okay, we'll clip that one up, shall we? <laughs> Arsenal, where Arsenal just gone. Thing is that you're taller than me as well. Now I want to know what yeah. you think of me. Yeah. You see, <laughs> see me wandering in, being like, he's only six foot one. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, if you, look, if you're listening, Connor, I didn't mean it, but um, <laughs> no, it's going to be very interesting to see who actually can take the role on and and, and what's going to happen. Like Ed said, I don't think it's going to affect the club on the pitch in the, in the short term. They're still a very good team and they've got a very good manager. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I completely. It's worth noting as well. Reading have just gone a two 0 down to Arsenal. Um, it's quick fire goals, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, and uh, that's McCabe who's grabbed that one for them. Two goals in two minutes. Uh, Katie McCabe grabbing the second there. So uh, it could be. Could, looks like it could be quite a long night for Reading there. Just, just finally, Ed. I mean, what, what is it? That you, I mean, who, who do you think? Is there any sort of prospective names that you think would would be interested in taking over? And and how do you ever amount to what Roman Abramovich has done? You're always going to be living in his shadow, are you not? Well, I think first and foremost, like Ben said there, that the uncertainty for Chelsea fans now is a big, big worry because with the best one in the world, you know, Roman Abramovich, I don't think anyone necessarily anticipated he would be at Chelsea for as long as he has been when he first arrived. I mean, to be there for the best part of 20 years um, is... 25 is, managers in that He's uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty impressive, to be, totally, to be totally honest with you. Now, I know that there was a Swiss billionaire who claims that he was approached by uh, whether... An, by a consortium, in essence, whether or not he would be willing to to help fund and buy Chelsea for for two for two billion, whether or not that materialises into something. But the fact he released that does put pressure on Abramovich a little bit, which might well explain the the timing of the statement. So I think the thing is, and as I say, the, the worry for Chelsea fans is that not all purchases have particularly gone to plan. You look at the Glazers' ownership of Manchester United and where that has ultimately ended up in terms of Manchester United have fallen well, well behind the uh, the top two, shall we say, in terms of Manchester United and Liverpool. And the speed at which that has happened has been pretty alarming, to be totally honest. If you look at the Ferguson era, let's say even the last 10 years and the subsequent 10 years, the trophy count is basically incomparable. Also, you know, Mike Ashley at Newcastle United, that started as I'm a big Newcastle fan and it was buying drinks for everybody <laughs> and the way it's ended has, has been in a, a lot of acrimony. So, yeah, 
there will be a lot of Chelsea fans who I would imagine are pretty uneasy about the prospect of what they're going to do without Roman Abramovich. Um, and it looks like he's looking for a quick sale whilst he says that, you know, due diligence will be done. But, you know, ultimately, I don't think a, a Chelsea fan tweets that he's the best owner in football because he's not been impressed by what he's done and he's not shown the club loyalty. Whether or not you get that again is is a bit of a mixed bag and, and ultimately we'll have to wait and see. I think we will. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, do, do you think that remains the issue for, for them, Ben, is what could possibly be next? Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's an in, like I, I just said, it's a, it's a completely impossible act to follow, isn't it? But is that the worry for them, that they've had these 20 years, they've won the Champions League twice, ridiculous amounts of Premier Leagues, FA Cups, everything else that goes along with it there's no man that can even come close to matching it but there is a man that there are there are men and, and women out there that could buy the club that could fall well short and and drag Chelsea you know away from from the glory that they've had yeah I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to think of another top six team or a top four or five team in, in last five years that have been taken over I don't think there has been one you know we, we haven't seen a head, team right? like Chelsea be taken over and we've, we've never seen a team where the finances are so great um, that the, the owner sells it for four billion pounds, and that's still not going to be enough to fund the club going forward. So, no, it's going to be incredibly interesting. I think, like I said uh, to Ed a second ago, in the short term, their squad is still in good nick. The the manager's a very good manager. You know, it's going to be maybe two, three years time where some of those players get moved on and maybe the money isn't coming in the same way it was. You know, it, it all depends who comes in. Until we get a short, proper short list of, of people, we can't really, we can't really su- suggest what, what, what the future is going to be. It looks like Chelsea are. Uh, but it seems to be that there's... there's yeah, Chelsea have literally just equalised against yeah. Lewis. So they haven't, been, they haven't been that badly affected by it, have they? Um, I mean, Ed, what sort of uncertainty will it give, you know, Thomas Tuchel and, and the players around it? Or do you think it's very much business as usual for them? I think it will have to be business as usual for Thomas Tuchel and his side. But I think among the players, there will be a slight element of concern because as we've seen, as I say, with Manchester United, in terms of if you look at their squad now uh, versus the squad that they had when they won the league, you, you might argue that it was better. You know, squad degeneration is isn't just about the players you have in your squad it's also about the unity and the commitment of those players and to be totally honest with you there will be concerns about whether or not they can emulate their exploits of the past if there is not going to necessarily be an owner who perhaps wants to put as much money in who maybe wants to reduce the cost so you know there's going to be concerns there realistically I think it will be business as usual for them for the time being certainly and I think perhaps in the summer we might start to see if there's a new owner in place by then quite what their intentions are to be totally honest with you buying a football club takes time so I don't anticipate Roman Abramovich to, you know, be departing and be out of sight, out of mind in the in the near future. Um, you know, it could well take some time, particularly when the the cost of the club is going to be as big as as, as it is for Chelsea, irrespective of him writing off the loan debt. But I would imagine the players will be quietly concerned, and timing wise, obviously not fantastic uh, in terms of the fact they're playing tonight. But as you say, they've just equalised Saw uh, on twenty seven minutes, having gone at one nil down within the first two minutes so um, you know I think uh, ultimately they're, they're still a good club as Ben says they've still got a lot of players contracted for quite some time and a very very good manager but yeah the uncertainty will be unsettling and it'll be interesting to see how things play out both on the pitch and off it well, I certainly think uh, I certainly think we do, we obviously do hope that we're gonna we'll, we'll keep you updated with how that unfolds over the next few hours. Anyway, we're gonna do, we're gonna swap sort of departures now a little bit, little bit I guess, and talk a little bit about Mar- Marcelo Bielsa's departure from Leeds. That's up next on Extra Time across the Thames Valley. This is Real Radio Ready. The voice, River Radio of the Thames Valley. 
That's right. Obviously, we are talking here a little bit about Marcelo Bielsa's exit from Leeds, following on from the shocking news that Roman Bramwich has put Chelsea up for sale. I spoke to a, uh, a guy from LeedsUnitedMan.co.uk after after some pretty shocking stats from Leeds. This was after, obviously after Marcelo Bielsa was sacked after a resounding 4-0 loss to Spurs on Saturday afternoon. Uh, that followed on from a 6-0 hammer against Liverpool, a 4-2 loss to fierce rivals Manchester United, a 3-0 loss to Everton and a 3-all draw with Aston Villa. That amounted to 20 goals in February, meaning that Leeds set a record for the most goals conceded in a Premier League calendar month, rather impressively in the shortest month of the year. Like I said, I caught up with a guy called Kevin Markey from LeedsUnitedMad.co.uk and started out by asking him if he was surprised by Bielsa's exit. It is a big surprise. It's happened now, really, with, what, 12 games to go to the end of the season. Um, I'm sure it would have turned things around in, in that particular time, but obviously it's a business these days, and obviously they've looked at it, they board and thought, you know, we're, we're a bit too close to the bottom three now. Maybe it's an opportunity to have a quick change to see if a new face can, um, you know, change the course of results in a way. Because obviously the last few games, well, we've lost five out of six games, which is not very good. But well, no, we, we love Bielsa so much, we forgive him most things. But obviously, I don't think any of, any of us want to go back into the championship again, because it's not a very nice place to be. We've had a, a good few years out of the Premier League, and it's really lovely to be back. And it'd be a shame if it lasted two seasons. So, I think they had somebody lined up for the summer, to be fair. I think it would have been his final sort of hurrah this season. Uh, he's given us four years, which is a lot more than he's given a lot of his other clubs that he's been with. So we've been very fortunate, really, to have him around for four years. But uh, it sounds like they've had this USA uh, coach, um, uh, Jess Marsh, um, sort of set up for a while now. But I think they've just asked him if he could maybe move it a bit forward to the last 12 games. and. Like any new face at a club, you know, things do sort of change sometimes for the for the better. So even though we love the guy and we're going to miss him, um, we've got to think about our Premier League, uh, you know, staying in the Premier League next season. And uh, I think that's the reason why it's been done now. It's it's a shame, but, uh, you know, we're all uh, Bielsa widows now, I suppose. And we're going to miss him. <laughs> we're going to miss him a lot, just like his previous clubs. No, of course. And I think I think it was it seemed to be a very special relationship he had between between yourselves and, you know, that there seems to be something really special between you. Is, is yeah. the biggest thing, is the worst thing about it and the biggest thing about it is it is ha- the fact it, it probably didn't deserve to end like this from your opinion. Yeah, that's the shame of it. It would have been lovely to for him to leave under his own terms, um, said goodbye to everybody in, in, a, in a proper way. You know, if we if we'd known he was going, to, it, we never know what he's going to do basically from season to season because he keeps things close to his chest. Everybody thought he was going to go after the uh, Derby County playoff loss last a few seasons ago and obviously he stayed on which was great because we ended up getting promoted that season um, I don't think he's the sort of guy who, who would have liked to have left us in such a perilous position at the bottom of the league I'm sure he would have liked us to you know finish in, in, in the right places in the Premier League this season and then he could leave you know with his head held high and move, pass it on to somebody else but you know business being business these days you don't get that luxury sometimes and it's unfortunate it's ended this way, yeah. It would have been great to wish him goodbye and good luck and all that. But, um, you know, uh, games move on, time moves on, and uh, we've got to think about Saturday's game at Leicester now and trying to get a result there. Absolutely right. I mean, look, just looking at his sort of, the, like you said, you touched on it a minute ago, the form 
and all that sort of good. 20 goals conceded in five games, a new Premier League record for the most goals conceded in a month in what's the shortest month of the year as well. A lot mm. of that was put down to his sort of stubbornness and and yeah. there wasn't much a, a sort of, the, he didn't adapt very well when, when things weren't necessarily going the way in terms of injuries and other things. Do you think that's ultimately what cost him, the lack of sort of adapt- adaptability? I think so, Will, yeah, because I think it is his stubbornness at the end of the day. If you look at his first game, as the Leeds coach, going back a few years now against Stoke City, Ellen Road, which was a wonderful game. A lot of those players are still involved now in the squad today. Um, so he's very loyal to his squad. And like you say, he can be a bit stubborn. Obviously, January was a perfect opportunity to maybe get a couple of fresh faces in to get us over the line. We've been missing Bamford for most of the season. Uh, obviously, Phillips as well and Cooper. Ironically, they all got injured in that game against Brentford um, just before Christmas, Ellen Road. Um, so I don't know if he knew he was going to be out that long, uh, Bamford, but I think he should have got a new striker really in January just to you know, stand in for a while and maybe produce the goals that we needed because... We, are, we have conceded a lot of goals, like you say, and we haven't really scored. Whereas last season, we surprised a few teams. We might have conceded a few goals last season. I think we conceded about just under 60 goals last season, but we scored a lot of goals as well over that course of the season because of the way we play. But we don't seem to have an answer now. And I think a lot of top teams like Man City, Man United, dare I say, uh, Liverpool, um, teams like that have sussed us out a little bit this season and they love playing against a BLC team because they know there's going to be opportunities um, for them to I mean, look at Man United, four goals last week, and they get a nil-nil draw against Watford this this weekend. That says a, says a lot because Watford obviously had the right defenders to keep them out, whereas we sort of just attack all the time, really, without really considering sometimes that we need a bit of a defence to stop the goals from going in, and that's not his way of doing things. He just it's form of defence is just attacking, and it hasn't really worked as much this season. Only five wins this season, which is pretty poor as well. So if you were a really hard, stubborn Leeds supporter, you'd probably say, well, any other manager would have been sacked for that record. And just because it's BLC, it doesn't mean he's, you know, he's, he's not immune from criticism as such. But it's just that the way that he got us promoted from the championship a few years ago now and his style of play, everybody's seen, you know, he's, he's got a lot of people that admire the way he works. It's just a shame it sort of ended this way, really, instead of on a high, uh, you know, keeping us in the Premier League and um, passing on the baton to somebody else. Absolutely right. I mean, you touched on it a minute ago. Obviously, Je- Jesse Marsh, obviously, the, the the name that's going around. It's, it doesn't seem from the outside the most inspiring appointment, but <laughs> you said it was something that, that sort of seemed lined up anyway. Does mm. it come as much of a shock? And, and would you have liked perhaps a bigger name, given the situation you're in? Yeah, but um, I think so. I suppose you, you'd always want a, a, somebody who's, who's managed in the Premier League before, maybe who knows how it's done. But there's not a lot of managers around at the moment that could maybe fit that bill. Um, all right, his pedigree, obviously, it's with Salzburg and Leipzig um, and in Dembele's, really. He calls himself a soccer coach, which, you know, what a deal to the fans too much. But I've seen a few videos. I mean, obviously, you see videos of the guy. He seems to have the same mentality as... Um, as Bielsa, which is good. He likes to attack and press, but he likes a bit of stability in the defence as well, which is, is the slight difference. And I think, all right, he's not a household name, but he, he's 48 years old. He's a young coach. He wants to prove himself. He's taking on a big job. Anybody who replaces Bielsa, you know, it's a big job to replace him, really. But if he can get a few results and keep us in the division now with 12 games to go, six home, six away, 
he'll have done his job and I think most fans will be looking forward to the following season then and obviously he'll get his own men in uh, I'm sure in the summer all being well um, and you've got to give him a chance obviously we're going to yeah Bales is going to his name's going to be sung out at the ground right up until the end of the season but um, if this guy transforms our luck with results in the next few games I think you know he'll um, it'll be a good thing it's just a shame the way things have ended really which which you know, conceding twenty goals in in a, in a month is really bad. I know, but uh, and only getting that draw at Villa, which you know, which was another topsy turvy fixture that could have gone any anyway. But uh, you always think that the next game is going to turn things round, and you know, then our next two fixtures may be a bit more kinder to us than the ones we've had in February. So I think a lot of the fans were hoping that you know things would change under Bielsa for the for the last few games that he'd get us over the line. Like you say, you may be looking at 35 points to, to stay up the season, which is not you know, a massive amount of points. We're talking about four victories out of the last sort of 12 games, really. And I think he, he, he may have just managed that. Um, who knows now? We'll never know. But uh, you've got to look onwards and upwards in this game. Otherwise, you, know, you can't hark on the past too much. But most Leeds fans now, 99% of them, I know a few have said, I'd rather be relegated under Bills and play the way we play. But I think most... Um, Stoic Leeds fans will be thinking, no, we want to keep, we want to keep in the Premier League, and I think with our owners now, we're sort of going to get more or less on now. I think by the uh, San Francisco 49ers, um, there's a, a lot of American influence on the board, or there will be in the summer, which is why I think we're getting Marsh in as coach because of his sort of um, pedigree in America and being an American himself, obviously. And I think things will be changing a little bit over the summer, but uh, like you say. It, could, it will change, but obviously what Bales has done for us over the last three and a half years will never be forgotten. Absolutely not. Well, we certainly wish you, everyone at Leeds, and uh, the, the best of luck in that game on Saturday and, and got fingers crossed for you that you stay in the league. Thank you so much, Kevin. Cheers, Will. Thank you. That's Kevin Markey there from LeedsUnitedMad.co.uk detailing his thoughts on uh, Marcelo Bielsa's exit and, of course, the, uh, the appointment of Jesse Marsh, which I will add wasn't confirmed at the time of the interview but it is now so uh, if there was any confusion there I wasn't just being vague he wasn't actually hadn't actually been appointed by that point what do you make of it then Ed I mean but first, first of all Bielsa's exit I mean for me it's not something that, that particularly surprises me as I think I said last week I don't particularly rate him as a manager but the appointment of Marsh seems an odd one doesn't it um, it, it does and it doesn't in as much as that reveal there that there's a bit of American influence in there. I mean, look, Jesse Marsh, incidentally, and I think this is the key thing about appointing managers, if you go back to Swansea when they were in the Premier League, what you'd often find is that when Swansea readjusted their dial, certainly in the early period where they are actually quite successful in the Premier League, what they would do is they would find a coach who played a not dissimilar style of football, would come in and tweak little bits, but you weren't talking about holistic seismic changes to the playing style and Leeds aren't really in a position realistically where they can afford to do that Jesse Marsh actually does play a fairly similar style of football quite pressing uh, to Marcello Bielsa and he'll have the wherewithal in terms of the squad's fitness to do that he actually won two titles back-to-back titles with Red Bull Salzburg um, in Austria so it's a shrewd appointment in that regard but equally you would look at it and say with not too many games to go bringing in someone who hasn't got Premier League experience is always going to be a bit of a risk but in terms of Marcello Bielsa's departure, I'm not that surprised because ultimately, as I've said so many times on the show before, managerial appointments and, and managerial sackings ultimately tend to come down to, well, what have you done for me lately? Exactly. In his case, to be totally honest with you, you look at the stats and the very consistent way of playing. And I think ultimately that was probably his undoing in, in the end. 
I, th- I think you're probably right. I'm, I'm Ben yourself. I'm just sort of wondering, did you, do you sort of agree with that very quickly? Like we've got a couple of bits to run through, but is that a sort of a fair assessment, do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, Jesse Marsh, very unproven for me at a particular level. Red Bull, Salzburg, it's a one-team league. You look at his win percentage there, 68% compared to an average of about 40 at the other clubs. Mm. You know, he hasn't won a trophy in, in another division. So you can't really... It's hard to judge how good he is. Uh, Bielsa's going to leave a big dent. But I think, like you said, it, it was time for a change. So, you know, jury's out on Jesse Marsh. I think you're right. Well, I'd just let you know as well, Arsenal are 3-0 up against Reading now in the WSL. Just very quickly before we wrap up, just heard from Louis. Benaventi, good friend of the show who's been on a couple of times before um, from the Chelsea Echo and he, he's given me this statement on his thoughts on Roman Abramovich's exit he said it's been a whirlwind of a day being a Chelsea fan always knew this day would come but the circumstances around this sale will always leave a what if mentality in my brain the politics of the world will always have an impact on football as and it's always cast a shadow over Roman's tenure at the club but whatever you think of him no one can deny the amazing job him and his team have done at Chelsea we were a top four club before we before he arrived and people often forget that but we were about to be liquidated when he brought us he saved us and set us on a path to join the world's elite and sit at the high table of football not only that but he's built a new training ground invested in making the best academy in the world and invested in the community he's made a huge mark on the English game his, his exit does leave me teetering mentally. The consorting we've been linked with doesn't fill me with confidence. As we've seen with such ventures, specifically American-led ones in English football, the franchise mentality at Arsenal and Liverpool has left many English fans with a bitter taste in their mouth with how respective clubs are won. Liverpool only just started to reap the reward despite their profit-driven mentality. So this next stage will be interesting, given Roman's outlook on selling and who to, to try and continue nearly 20 years of work. Not only all not only all of this, but we can't forget the reason for this sale and the politics attached. Roman has stated that all the net from the sale will go to a relief fund for Ukraine to help them rebuild. A generous gesture from a generous man. One of the best owners to have been involved in a beautiful game. Thank you, Roman. Very touching stuff there from Louis Benaventi from the Chelsea Echo. And and it, I think that pretty much encapsulates probably how most Chelsea fans are feeling. I would imagine it does. As he says, politics in this case will absolutely transcend the uh, the football side of things. On the football side of things, Chelsea are now 2-1 down. Harry Cornick in the 40th minute for Luton Town. They've done that, I might add, with 29% possession. I put it this way. If, if Chelsea style. were to go out of the uh, Ainsworth ball, <laughs> Chelsea were to go out of the FA Cup tonight, I don't think the, uh, the announcement, the timing of it... And the result would necessarily uh, be uh, unrelated. But nonetheless, I think we do have to wrap up now, don't we? We do. Thank you very much for joining me, gents. It's been-